service, and then I'm calm, cool, and collected in second service, and then you get the polished version, second service. But there's... Um, we just, you just laid hands on me, right? And it's this kind of weird thing that makes us feel uncomfortable that we find in the New Testament. And you go, like, what's the big deal with that? Um, I feel like I just experienced for the first time, what's the big deal with that? I'm not talking because it's hard for me to talk right now because I feel really loved by you guys. As you came around me, I could just feel your love, your support, your just the family. And that feels so good. So grateful for it full of mixed emotions right now because I don't really want to go. <laughs> don't want to be gone for three months and miss this, miss seeing your faces. I don't even want to preach a sermon right now. I don't feel like it. just feel like getting all warm and fuzzy, but I got a sermon to preach. <laughs> but I can't wait to see you do this again in three months, and I can't wait to see what God has for all of us in this season, in this time. It's going to be good. And so I just want to let you know I'm trusting you to not go away for the summer. I'm trusting you to be the church. I'm, I'm excited to hear stories about what God has done in and among and through you guys this summer. To hear the beautiful things of what happens at Bruce City Church without Randy and I. Because you need it. And so do I. My ego needs a little deflating. So do that for me. Mm. Okay, all right, well, we can get this awkward moment over with by standing and praying one more time. Let's do that. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you, Jesus. This sounds profane because nothing, no words can ever just give you enough gratitude and worship for 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 what you did to accomplish this, but I'm grateful for your life, death, and resurrection that created this thing called the church. Your people, broken people, who don't have it all figured out. As a matter of fact, we're really clueless more often than not. And we make you look bad more often than not. And yet you just immerse us in your love. And you say, come here because you're mine. I'll take all of it. Come to me. And now be family for one another. I'm just, I worship you because I just, I taste a little bit of what your dream is. As I'm surrounded by these ones, I taste a little bit of what your heart has been throughout all of eternity. To have a people that you could call your own, who would bear your image and reflect your goodness and glory. So this morning, I just asked, we're going to be talking about this thing called the gospel. And the gospel is just one of those words that kind of rings empty, because we've said it too many times, we've heard it too many times, we've talked about it in really shallow ways too many times. 
I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, could you reveal to us the huge, immense, deep, beautiful, radical, scandalous thing that is the gospel? Would you give us a hunger for it? Would you give us eyes to see it all around us? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. You guys know what tracts are? Tracts? Maybe, maybe you came from a good Baptist background and you were giver of tracts, right? Tracts are these little pamphlets. Sometimes it's Sometimes it's a little pamphlet, and it's got like the bridge metaphor on it, or maybe it's got this Romans road, but um, the most popular one that I've been seeing lately is the, the, the $100 bill tract, you know what I'm talking about. My, me and my family were taking a walk a, long time, a while ago, and I've got four kids, and we're walking on the street, and it's in the city, and there's one of those glorious $100 tracts, right? And my son Finn's completely fooled. He's like, oh, look at this! And he's super excited, and I'm like, ah. You're going dis- to be disappointed, buddy. <laughs> That's not as good as a $100 bill. Tracks. I, I remember sitting over in a cafe across the street from Cathedral Square a couple of years ago, and a van came up, a church van, and out spilled youth. The, boys wearing, the guys wearing khakis and the ladies wearing denim skirts down to the floor to the glory of God, and they just started handing out tracts to everyone. And it's basically this way of just guilting you into saying yes to Jesus, right? Some of you still don't know what tracts are. It's basically this thing that just tells you how guilty you are, how bad you are, how dirty, rotten, and awful you are, and so you better say yes to Jesus, otherwise you're going to burn in hell for all eternity to the glory of God. We all kind of know what that is. And the thing about tracts is it's not that there's no truth in them. See, there is some truth in them. They quote the scriptures. And there is some gospel in them, actually. Like it or not. The thing is, is that the version of the gospel that you find in these tracts, it's the shallow version of the gospel. I love the ocean. I've... A friend of mine told me, she's like, if, if heavenly homes are a real thing, yours is going to be by the ocean, Randy, because I, when we go to the ocean, I am in it, man. Like, I love being in the ocean. I don't understand this concept of being right on the ocean, on the beach, and then you spend all day on the sand. You don't get into the ocean. The ocean is this amazing, magical thing. I want to body surf. I want to swim. I want to be in it and just revel in it. I've seen many people just go in ankle deep and oh, I'm in the ocean, right? Maybe I don't want to get my hair messy or maybe it's just a little, it's, 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 I'm in the ocean. I'm in up to my ankles, right? I feel like that's the kind of gospel you get in tracks. That's the kind of gospel, it's, it's the real thing, it's just shallow, it's empty. And the reason that I think one of the main reasons why that kind of brand of evangelism and that brand of theology is, is so shallow is because it's so dang self-centered. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
We've boiled down the gospel to be this self-centered, selfish thing where everything is about me getting to heaven and getting out of hell. It's all about me. It's all this individualistic, self-centered gospel that's just basically, evangelists are basically kind of just like fire agents, insurance agents, and kind of shysty ones. No offense to you, if you're an insurance agent, I'm sure you have way more integrity and likability than most evangelists. But it's kind of what it feels like. It's the shallow version of the gospel that just is very uninteresting to a lot of people. When we think of the word gospel, that's what we think of. And what I would submit to you today is we're going to read this scripture, this passage, where it's on a lot of these tracks, this Have you heard of the Romans Road? The Romans Road is all about bringing people to conviction of their sin and repentance and saying yes to Jesus. And one of those verses in our text today are going to be our part of that Romans Road. It's kind of like the first step in the Romans Road. If you're a good Sunday school kid, when you're about 11 or 12, there's a verse in our text today that you probably memorized. Or, if you weren't a good Sunday school kid, this is probably one of those verses that Christians love to weaponize and use against you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah? Well, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We love to kind of weaponize the scriptures. We're going to read about the gospel in our text this morning, but I want to submit to you, I want you to be looking for something bigger and something deeper and something richer than you find on a tract. We've been in the book of Romans this summer, if you could call it that. Right? Summer's been terrible. I'm I'm Mr. Don't Complain About the Weather. You live in Wisconsin. You don't get to complain about the weather. Move somewhere else if you hate the weather. But man, it's June 16th and it feels like November. Okay, all right, I've got that out. We've been in the book of Romans this summer and we're going to be, you guys are going to be walking all through it and you're, there's some beauty coming up. You get to listen to Romans 5, which is possibly, Romans 5 and 8 are like hand in hand, my, one of my favorite chapters in all of the scriptures and you guys get to do this deep dive into the, the beauty of the gospel. But we're talking about the book of Romans, which we called Revealed, God's Relentless Plan for Redemption because that's what Romans is. It's Paul's Paul's idea is to say this is who God is and this is what God has done. God has been about bringing redemption to humanity and to the universe since the beginning of time. And let me show you how he's done it in Jesus. That's Romans. And he's, he's talking to a religious people who, who, and he's talking in technical ways. And as we saw last week, well, the, the way the Romans starts out, you never guess it, it's kind of a bummer. It's kind of dark and not so fun, is it? You get to talk about sin and all that stuff. And so what, what we found is that Paul is talking to three people. He's addressing people. And what he's trying to do is what I called last week building the drama. Paul's going to bring us a presentation of the gospel. And in order to really receive the gospel and to be filled with wonder and awe and, and worship at what God's done for us through the gospel, we first have to understand our need for the gospel. It's a really important thing. And so Paul is just trying to convince his audience of their need for the gospel. And he addresses three people groups. The first one in chapter one is what just we would call pagans. 
It's just a biblical word for really dirty, bad, sinful, broken people, non-religious people who are just kind of, Paul goes on this laundry list, and it's kind of agonizing of all these sins and all this stuff in the, in, that, that these pagans are doing, and he even says that they invent new ways of doing evil. It's like they just love it. And then he goes on to say that they're actually worshiping the create, created things rather than the creator. Paul makes this statement in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself through the creation. Now, I'm going to say something that might make you think, man, Randy's kind of a new age weirdo, but it's just scriptural. The Franciscans, an ancient order, actually called creation the first scriptures. How about that? See, the scriptures are what God has given us to reveal himself to us. But the Franciscans took a look around and said, God's revealing himself to me all over the place. Go somewhere where there's not a whole lot of ambient light and just look up and you got to go, there's something bigger than me in this world. And I think he's good. The Franciscans called the creation the first scriptures because the creation is revealing and pointing to this beautiful, almighty, everlasting God. But see, Paul said in the book of Romans, these pagans around us, they're worshiping the created things. They're not saying, look at that, it points to God. They're just saying, pray, they're worshiping the created things. And Paul says they're inviting judgment upon themselves. So that's the group of people that everybody kind of knows is dirty, rotten. We can just say, yeah, 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 they're bad. They, they need something like the gospel. And then Paul turns around and pivots and he says, hey, there's another group of people, second group of people. It's the philosophers, the intellectuals. My friend Kyle Whitaker here, he's a, he's a modern day one of these. He's a philosopher, PhD student, studying philosophy, studying morals, studying ethics, studying all that business. The Bible was written in a fascinating time where the New Testament that we have was written at a time where some Greek philosophers were alive and talking and thinking and debating and doing all sorts of things. And they're really talking about good things. They're talking about morals and ethics. And Paul says, you can talk about morals and ethics all you want. You're still not good enough. You can be a good person and lead a good life and you still are in desperate need of the gospel because, see, there's this brokenness inside you that all the conversations about ethics and morals and theorizing and trying to be good, it's just not going to get it done. All of us, even the best of us, have this brokenness inside of us, this disease called sin that you just can't get away from. Paul's making his case. He's got two, two audiences, two people groups done now. He's got one more. And this is the hardest group now that he's got to convince that they're bad and that they need the, the gospel, that, that they don't have what it takes. It's the hardest group of people. You know who that is? Us. It's us religious people. Us people who sit in the chairs and sing the songs and do the things. We think we're pretty good. If you really just kind of do this like internal, honest look at, my, look at myself, for me, I think, I think I've got what it takes in many ways. And Paul looks at comes and just says, you're kidding, right? <coughs> so you've got all the stuff, you've got all the religious veneer, you, got, you, you, you know how to make yourself look good, but inside there's some rotten things going on in there. You don't have what it takes. And Paul talks to the religious, the us of his day, the Jewish people. And they would say, whoa, 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 whoa. 
We've been given the Torah, the scriptures, the way God has revealed himself. He's given it to us. And they actually thought that that justified them and made, put them in their right before God. And Paul said, sorry, uh, what that does is actually show you that you're guilty. They say, okay, hold on. We've got this thing called circumcision that God instituted to show us that we're different from everyone else around. So when I, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm reminded I'm better than everybody else around me. And Paul says, sorry, it's useless in that regard. And then, they, okay, fine, fine. Well, you know what, Paul? Our forefathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the forefathers. We, that's, that's our lineage. That's who we are. And God, we are God's people. He's actually said it. He's called us his people. We're in the right, Paul said. Doesn't make one bit of difference. <coughs> See, all of that stuff, actually in the long run, is useless if your heart isn't transformed. All, that's all that stuff is pointing to anyways, is try to get you to change your heart, change your ways, transform yourself into the image of God. And you couldn't do it. And we saw, found Paul saying last week, so what if all of us are unfaithful? Does that mean, because God, God made a covenant with his people God made a covenant with humanity, and humanity has dropped the ball. Does that mean the whole thing is off? Now we get to see the answer to that question. Let's read. This is Romans 3, starting in verse 21. Paul says, but now apart from the law, remember Paul was talking about the law and the Torah. This is what the ancient Israelites thought justified them, the law, the Torah. And Paul, said, Paul made the statement in our last week's sermon, in our last week's text, that actually you don't get life through the law. Actually, your, your, your sins are pointed out and we're declared guilty through the law. But so Paul says, hey, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been, been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul is saying, hey, here's the real, actual, uh, the purpose for the scriptures. It's not so that you can have life by them. And man, I hope the church is listening today. We worship this thing. The Holy Trinity for most in the, in the evangelical church today is the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. This is a book. It's a book. And it points us to God. And Paul's saying that same thing about the Old Testament. He's saying all of that stuff that you hold dear, near and dear to yourself, the law, the prophets, all of that scriptures, it's actually pointing you to the real righteousness of God that was actually made known in Jesus Christ. So now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known and the scriptures have been pointing to it all the time. How is he going to do it? Verse 22, it says this, this righteousness, this faithfulness of God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now just those words, it's given through Jesus Christ to all who believe. To Paul's ancient readers, that's a scandalous sentence. He's talking to religious people who are a lot like us. They're very tribal. They're very us and them. They're very much like to build walls and think that we are the chosen ones. And Paul says, this is the key to this whole section right here in the gospel, talking about the gospel. It is for all who believe. Every single person. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He's just picking fights here. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. All. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so be, to, to be just and the one who justifies who have, those who have faith in Jesus. Whoa. Most of us, we just quote that one little verse, but then you read the context and you're like, that sounds like a jigsaw puzzle right there, Paul. So let's, let's just pull the puzzle apart and see what Paul's talking about. So he says, yes, Israel dropped the ball. Yes, all of humanity dropped the ball. God made a covenant. He's hearkening back to Genesis 12 and 15 where God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make you into a family against all odds and your family is going to give birth to a nation and that nation is going to be my people. But see, not for in, in and of and for yourselves so that you can be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. This was always God's heart. And then in Genesis 15, he covenants himself to Abraham and to his people so that they would be a covenant people. And when there's a covenant, both parties have to hold up their end of the deal. If one end doesn't, the deal's off. That's just the way it goes. Some of you are divorced. You know how that feels. And so humanity, the Jewish people even are asking, well, we, we, we dropped our end of the deal. Does that mean the deal's off? And Paul said, you don't understand how good God is. See, because this is one covenant that doesn't depend on both parties, just one. God is a God who is a covenant God, and he is faithful, he is righteous, and it's all of this righteousness and his plan is being revealed in Jesus. He's brought you in, and then he gets very Jewish, because he's talking to many people in the church who are Jewish, and he talks about, he says this, let's see here. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. That sacrifice of atonement, the Greek word there is hilasterion. Let me hear you say hilasterion. Hilasterion is referring to all the way back to Leviticus 16 in the Torah. And in Leviticus 16, God's giving his people commands on how to, how to actually address their sins. God's wanting to bring about transformation to bring awareness of their sins and create symbols to say, this is what I'm doing for you. I'm forgiving your sins. And so once a year on the Day of Atonement, we call it Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the temple and then he'd walk into the Holy of Holies and he'd light incense in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Do you know why he'd light incense? Because he had to create a cloud so that he wouldn't drop dead because the presence of God was in that place. So he'd light incense, create this big cloud, and then he'd slaughter a, a bull and a goat. And he'd come in with that blood and he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat, it's called, on the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelled. And in doing so is symbolizing that God is forgiving the sins and atoning for the sins of his people. And they do it every single year, and there was all sorts of animals that were killed along the way in the sacrificial system. This is how Israel, the people of God, thought they were justified. And God said, Paul said, this, that, that thing that's done every single year, it was actually just this archetype, just pointing you to the real thing that was done on Calvary in Jesus for once and for all. You have been forgiven of your sins by God, and now everyone knows it. And it is for all people, not just yours. This is the gospel. This is good news. 
Then he goes on and he says this kind of weird thing at the, at the end of what we just read and says, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did that to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the just and the justifies who, those who have faith in Jesus. What's going on there? Basically, he's ask, answering some theological questions about people are naturally asking this question. Well, okay, well, so Jesus died for our sins. What about all our forefathers? Do they get, are they guilty? Have you ever asked that question? That's a good theological question. And Paul's saying... Jesus and his sacrifice, Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection actually atoned for the sins of all of our present situation, all of our past, and all of our future even. Even the future, that future verdict on the judgment. These were good religious people who believed in the judgment, and they were afraid of it in many ways. And Paul said, you don't have to be afraid of your past anymore. You don't have to be afraid of your future anymore because Jesus in this present moment has atoned for it all. And this is good news, revolting news to those who heard it originally. Let's go on, finish chapter 3. Where then is boasting, Paul says? It is excluded because of the law. Remember, he's talking to religious people. The law that requires works? Of course not, because, the law that re- because of the law that requires faith. And what he's doing here, he's using the Torah as this, as this metaphor. And he's saying, you guys thought you were justified by the law, the Torah. And actually, there's this new law. It's a new Torah, and it's a Torah of faith. It's a law of faith that justifies you. He's using metaphorical language. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. This is just earthquakes going through their world. God is God of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now what's going on there? There's no boasting. There's one God. Paul is actually using a really familiar verse to, to use his argument for the Jew, his Jewish audience. He's using the Shema. Does anyone know what the Shema is? The Shema is just this famous verse in the book of Deuteronomy that Jewish people, ancient Israelites, would rehearse over and over again. It was the, possibly the most important verse to them, and it just said this simply, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We were talking, we had a group of Muslims in here a while ago, and their big hang-up with Christianity is that they, they think that we have three separate gods that were polytheistic. And that was the verse that I quoted to them to say, we follow one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And Paul's saying that one God that you for centuries have thought is just your God, your people's God, your nation's God. Actually, he's the God of all people. There is only one God. There's not the Jewish God, there's not the Christian God and then everybody else's gods. There's one God and he is God of all of them. And actually in the gospel, what Paul's saying in this text here is he's saying in, because of the gospel, he's actually created a new human, humanity. See, because hum, human beings have been really good since the beginning of time, both 2,000 years ago in Paul's day and in our day at creating divisions. That's how, what we love to do is to get with our people that look like us, that think like us, that believe like us, that talk like us, that eat like us, that do everything like us. And then we say, this is our people, and this is, this is my group and my people, and we are the ones who are right with God. 
Everyone else is a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. And Paul comes and he just breaks that, that worldview to bits. And he says, just so you know, there's only one God. And he is the God of every single person on earth, just so you know. That means he loves every single person on earth. That means he is pursuing every single person on earth. That means he's, he, he's for every single person on earth because this is what God is like. And he actually, it's not just that there's one God, it's also that there's one humanity. And no matter how hard you try to build walls of hostility, to build walls of separation between people groups, between races, between ethnicities, between sexual orientations, between all of that stuff, there is one humanity now been created in Christ Jesus. It's a new day, a new way of functioning, a new way of seeing things, a new way of interacting with one another, a new way of living, and it's because of the gospel. That's good news. I was talking in the beginning of our time about this shallowness of these tracts, of this theology that this evangelism produces. It's a shallow version of the gospel that's self-centered. See, we're not alone in being, having this self-centered form of religion. People have been doing it since the beginning of time. God's been trying to break at it for thousands of years. See, but, but, but Paul comes and he says, this is not, this is not your tracked version of Christianity, of, of the gospel I'm giving you. I'm giving you the kind of gospel that is immersing and saturating the whole dang universe. You can't get away from the goodness of the gospel no matter how hard you try. You can't get away from a person who has unspeakable worth and value and dignity because of the gospel, no matter how much you think opposite of that. And you know who needs this word? First and foremost, we do. I can just see it in our eyes. We don't get it. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we don't actually realize the fullness and the beauty and the depth and the goodness and the scandalous, radical nature of the gospel. If we did, we'd look differently. We'd live and act and interact differently, I promise you. Just like last week I asked, would you make it your, 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 your goal, your assignment to think of a, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal some sin in your life that he wants to work on would you, would you continue doing that, but also start asking the Holy Spirit, could you reveal to me the beauty and the depth of the gospel more and more? We need it. You know who else needs this word of this true, deep, big, beautiful gospel? The whole dang world around us. See, because we live in this unique cultural moment where our world is just full of divisions, isn't it? You can feel it in the air, the, the, the political divisions, the ideological divisions, how we identify ourselves by, we, we, uh, whether we like someone or not depends on the yard sign in their, in their front yard. We, we identify ourselves by all sorts of things, and we hate one another based on all sorts of things. We live in a really tribal world, and the ironic thing, the sad thing, is that the church is often the most tribal group of people you'll find. We're the most, one of the most isolated, fearful, separated groups of people you'll find, which is completely opposite to the gospel that we've been given that says there is one God and one new humanity created in Jesus. Now start living like that. 
Can we live in light of this God? Our world, there's, there's all these di- divisions and separations and isolation, but I also feel something else in the air. I'll bet you do too. I fa- feel and sense this huge desire for something be- bigger and better than that. There's all sorts of people outside our doors who are just longing for a little bit of togetherness who are longing for something that's bigger and better than what they see. They're longing for, for all this, and they, what they don't know is that they're longing for the gospel. Friends, we have this message that says there is no longer us versus them. It's just us because of Jesus. We have that message. We have a message that, that the one message in the entire world that actually tears down Walls and barriers of hostility between people groups and people is the gospel. We have it. What are we doing with it? See, you can be content to live a dry, lifeless, religious kind of life if you want. I want one that's inspired by the, this kind of deep gospel where I jump in and dive in and I'm just immersed in it. The other day I was meeting a friend for lunch. And uh, I got there early, and then he was late. So it was this combination where I had 20 minutes on my own to just sit in this restaurant, and a gift happened. My phone died. My phone died. And so I, I knew he was probably texting me, telling me he's going to be late. I didn't know. So in, in the moment, my head was on those things, and then I was like, okay, well, I got the menu to read, so I'll read the menu. And I just, I, I could tell you some dishes at that restaurant still today. I, I read it really well. And then I still had time, and you know what? Usually what I do is I just scroll and scroll. It was dead. So all of a sudden, I just looked around, and I had this realization. Oh, my goodness, God. Your presence in here is rich. I can sense it. And then I looked around at the people and the table of senior citizens over here, and then the group of waiters and waitresses that look like artists and talking about later, and then this group of businessmen, I just started sensing the Holy Spirit's activity and presence in their life, in their world, and I started just agreeing with it and saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're sparking stuff in them. You're, you're, you're sparking beauty and life in them. This is what the gospel says, and I just started agreeing with it. I started saying, yeah, oh, this place is full of your glory. See, but if I had my phone on, I never really realized it because I'm distracted most of my life. But what happens is you put your phone away sometimes and you just open your eyes and you'll find that the presence of God and the goodness and glory of God is everywhere. It's the gospel. It says that there is no corner of the earth that you'll ever find, no, no, no place that you'll ever find, no matter how hard you look, where the glory and the presence of God is not there. You'll never find a person where the Holy Spirit hasn't touched them and isn't pursuing them and and calling to them and speaking to them and drawing them to himself. You won't find that person because they don't exist. See, the glory of God is everywhere around us. This is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the deep dive. Are we going to be a people of the shallow, self-centered version of the gospel? Or are we going to be a people who's saying, I want to awaken to the goodness of the gospel everywhere I go. I want to awaken to you and your life and your activity, Father, everywhere I go with every person. I want to consider this a sacred moment. 
because you're seeking after this person and you're doing beautiful, unique things in them. How can I love them? How can I honor them? That's living light, life in light of this deep, rich gospel. Let's stand and pray and just finish our time with a little bit of worship. Jesus, I want more moments like that. I want to be more and more aware of your presence. I want to be more and more aware of your goodness. I want to be more aware of your, your glory in my life, that my whole life is full of your glory, that the whole earth, the whole universe is just soaked in your goodness and your glory, that you're bringing things back together. That's the story that you're telling in the gospel, and I say yes and amen to it. I want to live in light of that story. I'm sick of living in light of, of, of in, in being transfixed by brokenness and decay and darkness and separation and racism and all, the, uh, all that stuff. I'm sick of it. I've had enough of it. I say yes to your goodness and glory that's all around. I say, would you, Holy Spirit, fix my eyes on the, on the beauty around me, on what you're doing and how you're weaving all things together and bringing people together and, and telling your story of redemption and grace and life. Come and do it in us. Help us to be a people who lives, live like that, who live aware and in the presence of and in the bask in the goodness of your glory and your presence. And so we just, we're going to sing a song or two just to remind ourselves of what's real. Just to s- sing and proclaim true things into the air and into my heart to remember again who I am and who, who, who I am to you. And so would you come and fill this space, Holy Spirit, with worship, with wonder, with power, with glory, because this is who you are. Hallelujah. Yes and amen to you and your gospel, Jesus. That's what we say now.